0: Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. This week, we have a person who does not necessarily make the news, but comments on the news and gives us insight into exactly what's happening uh, and how it affects us, and that is uh, Dr. Mike Walden, who has been with us so many, many times through the years and always uh, enlightens us on exactly what's happening to us in our economic lives and uh, these are uh, as we open almost open the week every week by saying these are strange times dr walden
2: well they are don and we are officially in a recession and that was actually called last week it began at the end of february and i want to make clear to the listeners this is not your typical recession uh this is what i call a mandated recession the only reason we're in a recession now is because of the coronavirus and the viewpoint by by health experts that if we did not reduce face-to-face contact in a significant way, that we could have uh, caseloads that rose astronomically, and that we would overwhelm the healthcare system. So it was made, a decision was made by, I think, every governor in the state, I'm sorry, every governor in the nation, backed up by the federal government, that we needed to shut down a large part of our economy, which we did, somewhere between a third Uh, As much as a third of our economy uh, had been shut down at the peak, we knew that was going to cause massive unemployment, massive uh, job losses, massive loss of income, and that's why the federal government acted very quickly. Uh, through a variety of programs that are now, the clock is still ticking on how much, but probably when this is all over, the federal government will have injected into the economy maybe as much as $10 trillion to backstop people and backstop businesses. So this is a different kind of recession. If we we hadn't had coronavirus, economy would have been rolling. I mean, we had very good numbers at the beginning of the year, 2% growth, which is not too hot, not too cold. Unemployment for all groups, as well as segments of our society, under 4%, wages were rising faster than inflation. We had a very good economy and then the virus hit. Where we stand right now is that we've gone through essentially two and a half, three months of this lockdown and the virus caseload, of course, is rising a little bit, but in terms of not overwhelming the healthcare system, it looks like we've achieved that. And now the focus has moved in most states to can we begin to open up the economy and, and get revenue back generated again? Because we can't go forever with a, a shutdown economy. It's just impossible. And so that's where we are now. We are, we are, are gradually opening the economy. I think next week, uh, the governor may go to phase three of the opening, reopening. Most states have done this. We are beginning to see caseloads go up and hospitalizations uh, rise. But I was actually on a conference call today with uh, the governor and Secretary Cohen, and uh, Secretary Cohen indicated, yes, the numbers are rising, but they're not at a, a level where, as she put it, her hair's on fire. I thought that was a pretty apt description. Uh, that is, it's not at a crisis level, but we need to watch that. And I think that's why it's very incumbent on everyone to exercise caution, as I say, behave when you go out in public even if you're not required to wear a mask, wear a mask, uh, practice social distancing, wash your hands, etc. And I think that's a challenge for the state to get that message out and, and get people to comply. And that is actually forcing some governments here, and I live in Raleigh, I think you do too, Don, uh, that uh, we are going to have a mask requirement in Raleigh. Uh, and I think that the reason for that is we want to make sure that we keep a lid on the virus until a cure, a vaccine is found, uh, so that we can open up the economy. Because if we get the if we get the healthcare system overwhelmed, we're going to have to go back to where we were. We're going to have to shut things down again. I don't think anyone wants that.
1: Well, you know, it, 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 it's a strange mix between uh, working, uh, getting the economy back open, and protecting everyone's health. Yes, uh, as you point out, the secret to it is is as it is with so many parts of our life is it's moderation. I mean. Uh, i uh argue from time to time with people who really find it offensive to have to wear a mask or do social distancing they feel like it's an invasion of their liberty and i keep going back to them and say well you know let's say it is why why not i mean you know it, it's uh uh protesting is not going to do any good uh, do it, following it might not do any good but it's certainly not going to hurt it's not well, going to hurt anybody.
2: well the, the 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 economic not the legal but the economic explanation for this is we're in a situation where what one person does can affect other people yes. when, when 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 what you do or any person does only impacts them then i get it liberty is is paramount but when what one person does uh, and, and we know now know that people can have the virus and not know it, not, they're asymptomatic and, and they can infect other people. So what one person does can negatively impact others. That is a rationale, even in a free market economy, for a government to come in and say, we're gonna have to put some restrictions on this. And I think another issue here, Don, is we've never done this before. We've never had something like this in our country uh, before. I'm 70 years old, I think you've got a few years on me uh we've had several pandemics since i've been alive Uh, the most noteworthy was the asian flu at the end of the 50s that killed about 120,000 people in the US, right at where we are now. And yet we didn't have any restrictions, we didn't have shutdowns, et cetera, but we're a different country now. I think we realize what pandemics can do and we're trying to limit limit the losses. So I get that, but, but this is a situation where uh, I think we, there is a justification for government telling people, hey, if you're gonna be out in public, wear a mask. If you're gonna be out in public, uh, maintain that distance of six feet because of this interaction between people where one person can adversely affect another person.
1: Uh, you mentioned the 1950 uh, Asian flu situation, uh, you know, 125,000 deaths, but of course the population of the United States was considerably smaller than Yeah, just it was actually handful, yeah, poor half of what poor.
2: we are now. That's right. So. I mean, I'm, you can just grossly look at that and say, "Well, uh, the death rate was twice as much as what we've we've done now." I think, I think actually, if I can give my assessment, we've achieved a lot in this country in terms of of keeping a lid on on the afflictions and and particularly particularly the deaths. And I think a lot of that is due to the early actions to. Um, Sequester the economy for a while, sequester people for a while until the healthcare system could, could get up and running and, and be capable of handling this.
1: I, we're going to talk in later segments about individual things, but I think one of the things we'll turn to in this session is lots and lots of people, of course, have IRAs, they have investments uh, that they, they are stockpiling for possible retirement. Um, and uh, so Let's look at the stock market, and it seems to me, and, and I would be very interested in your comments on this, that the stock market seems to be more optimistic than the, than the Federal Reserve System. Well, the stock
2: market certainly took a hit uh, when we got the flu, if you will, got the, Asian, uh, the uh, coronavirus, and we had a shutdown because that was unexpected. I don't know of any economists who predicted this. Or any forecaster of any ilk that predicted this. So clearly, we had a deep uh, downturn in the in the equity markets and a lot of other markets. Right now, uh, the stock market. And the stock market always looks ahead. That that's one thing people have to realize. They're not looking at today the tomorrow. They're looking three, four, six months, maybe a year down the road. And and recently, the market has been trending up. In fact, it's well off of its lows, recent lows because they they see light at the end of the tunnel. They see that the economy, actually, we'll get into this maybe a little bit later, the May job report that came out two weeks ago, and North Carolina's will come out this Friday, uh, was very robust, very strong. We actually added jobs in May, which no economist that I know was predicting. So the stock market's looking ahead and they're thinking, it looks like we've got things under control. Uh, It looks like business will come back uh, and they're also, I think, very optimistic, investors are, about first a treatment and then a vaccine. Uh, those, those efforts are moving, I think, I think the White House has designated this as Warp Speed Project. They are literally moving at warp speed to get both of those uh, accomplished. So uh, yeah, this can get derailed. I mean, we've seen, and, and during this, we were a couple of days where the market was down rather big, and those were on days where I think the focus shifted to the fact that in most states, caseloads are going up and the market's worried about that. But the market's always looking ahead, and I think they have gained some optimism.
1: Let's talk a little bit about it, because for some reason or another, we don't seem to be getting the reports on the uh, progress of finding a vaccine and when and how that will, uh, affect the economy when it might be available. What are you hearing now? What's the latest you've heard?
2: Well, well, on a vaccine, what I have heard, and I I listened very closely to Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who um, was head of the, uh, I believe, FDA. Uh, He's on one of the the cable channels as a a regular. And I think we're looking optimistically. The best case scenario would be end of the year, uh, a vaccine, not for everyone, but maybe enough to handle people, Don, and if I can lump you in with my age, uh, those of us who've been around several decades. Uh, so maybe end of the year on a limited basis, uh, if not, hopefully at the beginning of the year. But when this all started, people were talking about, I mean, the first thing you always do when you have a, a virus like this, is you, t- you talk about developing a vaccine. And you may recall, uh, just three months ago, people were talking about, well, it's gonna be a year, it's gonna be a year and a half. So that would be the end of 2021 before we have a vaccine. Now, people are talking about maybe, the end of 2020. So that is that is definitely the ultimate game changer to have a vaccine and then we can hopefully put this virus behind us. But one thing I think, Don, this has alerted us to is viruses are out there and can be developed and we can have a pandemic in our in, in the world. And this is not something, again, you and I lived through the late 50s, but since then, we've certainly had some outbreaks, but nothing like this. And I think I will, I'm, I'm going to predict that we're going to have an effort at the federal level similar to what we had after 9-11. One of the things we did after 9-11, the terrorist attacks here in our country, was we set up a cabinet-level department to deal with that, Homeland Security. I, I predict that we're probably going to have the same sort of thing. We're going to take the agencies like CDC that deal with this, but they're, they're agencies. They're not cabinet-level. That's going to be elevated to a cabinet level so that the cabinet secretary sits at the in the cabinet with the president on a regular basis because I think this pandemic we've been through shows us how it can still occur even with our modern technology and modern medical care it can kill a lot of people and it can cost the economy trillions of dollars so I think we're going to take the the possibilities of of viruses and pandemics like this much much more seriously.
1: Our guest is Dr. Mike Walden and we'll be back with another segment of Carolina Newsmakers in the next segment we're going to talk about jobs and Uh, what you see as far as the recovery in that area. We'll do that right after we take time out for these messages.
0: Hey dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable.
2: That's AARP.org slash caregiving. A public
1: service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council.
2: Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Is this tree good for climbing? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady and the Ad Council.
0: We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis.
1: We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest is Dr. Mike Walden, who's the William Neal Reynolds Distinguished Professor of Agricultural and Resource Economics. Long title at North Carolina State University. Uh, you, know, I, I, you know, some people used to pay in the newspaper when you would write an article, pay by the word. Do you get paid by the word in your title?
2: <laughs> I often have to shorten it. When I do articles and I've got a word limit, I have to shorten it. But uh, no, I've been I've been at NC State and I'll be finishing up my 42nd year in a couple months. It's been a wonderful career. I can't think of a better institution to work for.
1: Well, we're, we, you know, we talk from time to time. One of the things that North Carolina has been a leader for some time, and that's our higher education system, and it has probably led us to our current status as being one of the more progressive states in, in many areas. Well, let's talk, we're talking about the uh, pandemic that we're under and all the problems being caused by COVID-19 and so forth, and uh, as you said, the, the job report in May was a uh, very uh, surprising. Are yeah. you looking for an equally surprising report in June or what are you anticipating?
2: Well, I, I, I think so. I don't know. It'll be as robust as May, but one of the, one of the um, um, factors that made the, the May job report were there really two things. First of all, states did begin to open up, North Carolina did. And secondly, believe it or not, households, average households, not all, but average households are actually flush with money. They got the stimulus checks. That's the checks where you got $1,200 for a person or $2,400 for a a household. There was an income limit on that, but most people got those. Uh, People who were unemployed and filed for unemployment compensation not only got their state unemployment compensation, the feds added another $600 per week to that unemployment compensation. Um, There are actually people who have been told not to come to work, and yet if the employer uh, got the PPP, payroll protection plan money, that employer is able to continue to pay those folks. So in aggregate, uh, what we see in the numbers is households have been flush with money. In fact, the savings rate um, jumped to something like 20 or 30% uh, during April. And so when things began to open up, people actually did have the money to spend, and I think there was a lot of what economists call pent-up demand. I think the key, Don, going forward is, first of all, for us to, again, hold the virus in bay, to allow the economy to continue to open up. And then I think just as important is to allow people to feel safe when they do venture out and go into restaurants, go into stores and and interact and visit when they go back to work. And I know there's been a lot of effort. You see a lot of stories about what businesses are doing, what restaurants are doing, et cetera. We do though, and I can't emphasize this enough. uh, We do need to make sure that people uh, recognize they do have to take precautions when they're out in public. And we saw this past uh, week here in Raleigh when, A lot of the the young people that I teach um, uh, congregated in some of the hot spots in Raleigh and there were no masks, there was no social distancing, etc. So we need to get the message out even louder to those folks that look, you need to take precautions. We're still not out of the woods. You can get sick and even if you get get sick and don't have symptoms, you can pass it on to a loved one. But I'm I'm keeping my fingers crossed that we will begin to see this this positive uh, turn in the economy. In fact, we just had a report out from the Federal Reserve. uh, We can talk more about what the Federal Reserve has been doing if you want to later. But they're actually forecasting a fairly robust couple of months in terms of economic growth. Now, very clear before I stop, I I want to make sure your listeners understand when they hear the, the the fact that, yes, the economy grew, it added jobs, and the growth rate is high, that doesn't mean that we're back to where we were pre-virus. Most of the fork economic forecasts say that it's going to take, and hold your hat on this, Don, as long as the end of 2021, that's a year and a half away, before we get the kind of aggregate economic numbers that we had pre-virus.
1: The, uh, what are some of the, we're, we're talking about jobs and um... What are some of the industries or categories that are going to be the slowest to recover, and the ones that are going to be the fastest to recover?
2: Well, we've already seen uh, fairly fast recovery in the sectors that were really hard hit. Uh, hospitality and and um, and and eating out would be two of the two of the prime ones. And it's very interesting, Don, if you look at the fact those in those two sectors, hospitality, which are hotels and and travel, I should say, and and obviously restaurants. But when you look at the fact that restaurants uh, were essentially closed down, people obviously shifted their spending to grocery stores, and actually a lot of grocery stores have, have, uh, have actually um, done, done quite well. But in the May report where we did have a turnaround, we saw that those sectors that were hit hardest were actually the ones that, that came back better. I think probably uh, my sector, education, is, is still up in the air. I think NC State is still, uh, and I know UNC also, we're still trying to grapple of how are we going to how are we going to teach students in the fall and are we going to do it all virtually are we going to have classes uh, uh, in person how many classes etc. So I think that sector has a lot of challenges coming up and then I do think that probably we're going to hit a a period with the aforementioned restaurants and hospitality where their improvement is going to slow dramatically because I think, again, that pent-up demand impact is going to wear off and people are going to probably be a lot more cautious in terms of going. Plus, most restaurants still have the handicap that they can't they can't have their, all their capacity used. I think in North Carolina, they're at, at 50% capacity. I think that is scheduled, if, if we do go through the phases on schedule, to go up to closer to 100%. But that's going to hurt restaurants. Uh, here's another thing that I want, to, I want to point out. Despite all the efforts, good, well-intentioned efforts of the federal government to backstop businesses, backstop jobs, backstop households, we're still probably going to come out of this with probably a bankruptcy rate of about 20%. And 20% of the businesses in the country are simply not going to come back because they weren't able to sustain themselves through the pandemic. And maybe they're not getting enough business, new business once the country reopened too. To, uh, to continue. So that by its nature is going to take several, uh, several million jobs with it. And I think one of the challenges coming out of this pandemic is going to be that the job market is going to be different. The same jobs are not going to come back. We're probably going to have fewer jobs in restaurants and maybe in office buildings if remote, uh, uh, remote working really take, continues to take off. Uh, and so that's going to be a challenge, I think, for individuals. It's going to be a challenge for our educational system, um, because because I think the economy is going to be fundamentally changed by this pandemic.
1: Well, you know, we're all learning some new tricks that uh, I think probably are going to uh, change the way we conduct business. As you said, for example, uh, this very uh, program that we're recording, mm-hmm. you're sitting in your living room. I'm sitting in mine. Jason mm-hmm. Kong is... Uh, a third location and we've all learned about Zoom and all these right. other ways of communicating and many of them are far more effective than what we were doing before.
2: Yeah, yeah, every public presentation, as you know, I do a lot of public presentations, every, every public presentation I've had scheduled, really out to the end of this year has been scheduled as a virtual presentation. So you're right, uh, technology actually has helped us a lot. I mean, what, where would we be? without the computer technology that's allowed uh, millions of people to continue working from home. Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the more interesting long-term potential changes. If, if, if uh, we went into this pandemic with roughly, Don, 10% of the workforce working remotely, it's been estimated it might be up to 20 or 30% now. And the reports are that a lot of people like remote working, a lot of businesses like, like it. Uh, because they maybe in the long run won't have to have uh, expensive office space. So if that takes off, uh, we could see big changes in commercial real estate. We could see uh, the roads become unclogged because not as many people are are commuting. And obviously, we could see big changes in home life where where the adults who are working work from home. And if there are children present, maybe that'll make it easier for to do that very important uh, work-home balance.
1: We were talking about various segments of the economy and we were talking about travel and tourism. How has or how is now the airline industry reacting and what, what is their current status?
2: Well, they're coming back, um, uh, but they're not back to where they were. Um, they are, I think, implementing a lot of safety precautions. I read recently where there were some airlines were actually ripping out their seats and they're putting new seats in that recognize social distancing, which means they won't have as much capacity. Um, the federal government has poured a lot of money into the airlines. We, in fact, Don, all of us now are part owners of a lot of major airlines as the federal government took an equity interest in in the airlines.
1: How does that work that long range? Does the federal government uh, actually end up selling that and recovering some of the money? Yeah,
2: in fact, there's precedent for this. This is the same thing that the federal government did with banks during the Great Recession and then they eventually sold that equity and actually made money. And I would expect to have the same thing done now. But yeah, the airlines are trying to figure out what they need to do. The hotels are trying to figure out what they need to do. One thing I might mention about North Carolina North, North Carolina tourism, of course, we're, we're now in the beginning of, of the summer holiday, um, summer season, where a lot of people take vacations and North Carolina has great vacation locations. And many of them are able now to operate, but they're operating obviously under, under new rules. Um, there, I think there's a concern a lot of vacation sites of, well, if the airlines, you know, a lot of people still iffy, even if the airlines are operating, so a lot of people are going to be iffy about flying. How would that affect North Carolina? And the good news for North Carolina is that most people who, take, who partake of our great vacation sites do so via driving. Either either people in the state or people outside the state, because we're, we're a, on the East Coast, we're a very centrally located state. And so I think actually North Carolina's uh, tourist sites could, could maybe have a very, very good year if if people, especially from other states who would have done flying for their vacation, now decide, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to drive somewhere, and they look at North Carolina and say, "Oh, well, we can drive to North Carolina easy mountains coast." Golf courses, whatever. So I'm looking forward, hopefully, to a very good season for our tourist sites in North
1: Carolina. Well, that's that's certainly good news, and you know, as we've talked about several times before, in any kind of an economic change, there is always winners and losers. Yes. And uh, North Carolina, I think you pointed out, is probably in a position to maybe come out of this thing a little ahead of most states. Our guest is Dr. Mike Walden, and uh, we're talking, of course, about the economics and how the uh, COVID-19 pandemic is affecting our lives here in the state of North Carolina. We've got two more segments and we will be back right after these messages with Dr. Wall.
0: Not completing high school is more of a social thing than it was an academic thing. I came out in the 11th grade. Nobody was embracing you. The kids were cruel. It was very difficult to be gay. Even though all these years have passed, I still had that longing to have my diploma. The hard part was determining that I was gonna do it, but I definitely didn't do it alone. At age 30, with the help of her mentor, Carissa finished her high school diploma. I have a mentor, Maria. She convinced me to continue my education and to finish what I started to get my diploma. She just never judges. She's a true role model. If you're even considering getting your high school diploma, go get it. You can do it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council.
1: You're never completely ready to adopt a teen.
0: For late nights writing English papers.
1: For your teen's music taste.
0: For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you.
1: For the first time, they call you mom.
0: You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Now once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis.
1: We're back with Dr. Mike Walden here on Carolina Newsmakers, and we are, as we said before, a uh, Talking to Dr. Walden from an economic point of view of how the COVID-19 pandemic is affecting us here in North Carolina, how the recovery is going, and uh, what's probably in the future and uh, as far as the short-range and long-range future. Uh, one of the things, of course, that is nice and low right now is interest rates. Mortgage rates are have been uh, either at historic lows or very close to it. What do you see happening there? Is that condition going to stay for some time?
2: Yes, the Federal Reserve actually uh, had a big Powell, big meeting um, last week uh, and uh, Federal Reserve Chair uh, Jay J Powell, I was, I was getting a meeting on Powell there <laughs> mixed up. Uh, Jay Powell said that um, the very low interest rates the Federal Reserve has engineered are going to stay for the foreseeable future. So, so I think that is a signal that interest rates will be low which has a plus and minus. If you're a risk averse investor and you're investing in money market funds or treasury securities or CDs, you're gonna get a very paltry amount of of money on interest. But for borrowers, that's very, very good news. And uh, this I think will definitely, I think has has already helped the housing market. The housing market hasn't collapsed as much as we might have thought. And I think it's gonna help the housing market clearly going, going forward. The other uh, potential borrower that it could help would be governments. Uh, the federal government, of course, all the money that the uh, president and the Congress has appropriated for the uh, various uh, stimulus plans—all that money has been borrowed, so that's being added to national debt. We'll have to service that national debt in the future. But the good news there is interest rates are historically low, so at least the interest payments will be will be very, very low. The other um, uh, player here could be state governments. Uh, There are a lot of of people in North Carolina who want to borrow money for our transportation network, for maybe high-speed internet in rural and small town areas, um, for for other purposes, uh, school buildings. And if we were to do that, and of course this is a joint decision between the governor and the general assembly, but if we were to do that, again, this would be a good time to do it in terms of locking in those low interest
1: rates. You mentioned the national debt. Uh, You know, we all uh, hear about it and see how rapidly it's going up. At what point in time are we getting in a danger point of view of what we can afford to borrow?
2: Well, the key there, Don, is whether you can national debt is different than a private debt. We,
1: We don't ever have
2: to pay off the national debt because we are a society that keeps going on and on and on. Whereas if you take out debt as a person or, or business, that, that debt is, uh, needs to be wrapped up as long as the biz, when the business uh, or the person wraps up. Um, so so we, can, we can handle the national debt. The key number that at least I watch is the percentage of the federal budget that is taken to pay the interest on the national debt. And, and that is not at an astronomical level. That's still at a very, very doable level. And, and the reason is because interest rates have come down so much. Uh, but I think obviously in this case of borrowing to, to deal with the economic losses of the pandemic, I think this was a, quite frankly a no-brainer. We had to do it. If, we, if the federal government had not backstop businesses, had not backstopped households, We would be dealing not with an economy that maybe has a bankruptcy rate of 20%. We maybe have been dealing with an economy that had a bankruptcy rate of 60%. So this was a time where I know people don't like to borrow money at the governmental level, but this was a time where we really had to do it. We had to do it in order to preserve the economy. And it was uh, something we didn't want to do, but the pandemic came. We have to deal with the pandemic. So, so I'm not really concerned about that borrowing. We will have to obviously monitor it in the future. This may put a damper on things that the federal government does down the road. But in terms of backstopping this economy, we absolutely had to do it.
1: Local governments and, and the state of North Carolina government, of course, have a requirement for a balance budget. Yes. Now, that doesn't include capital improvements because right. we do that with bond money. But uh, even the interest in the service debt on that has to be a balanced budget. So with uh, incomes down, uh, state revenues will be down uh, somewhat. Uh, How is the state of North Carolina going fair? And then uh, how are some of our cities, which uh, in many cases, some of our rural cities were already in trouble? What what do you see happening there?
2: Yeah, well, you put your finger, Don, I think, on the next Uh, tripwire here, and that is that the federal government in its variety of packages to deal with the coronavirus, they did allocate monies to states primarily, but it was targeted money. It was money that had to be spent in certain ways, primarily ways to deal with the coronavirus in the medical area, et cetera. Uh, What this has meant, as you you said, is the economy has has, uh, slowed down and shrunk here in North Carolina. Our budget people uh, just uh, two weeks ago did their forecast for fiscal year uh, 2021, which starts uh, July 1st, the general fund, which is the operating fund of North, of North Carolina, the general fund revenues are going to be down 10%, they estimate, and could be more, could be less, but 10% is a big chunk. And then uh, you're, you're certainly right, counties, municipalities are in the same boat. So this is an issue. We know it's an issue. Our elected leaders at at the federal level know it's an issue. There is a proposal already passed in the House, House of Representatives in Washington, to allocate money for state and locals. The Senate does not yet have a proposal. But my, my forecast is they will work out a compromise, and we will have another package passed at the federal level. That will include significant monies going to North Carolina as well as the the states uh, and and the counties. In fact, um, uh, probably our our General Assembly may very well delay doing a a permanent budget for the next fiscal year until they see what happens at at the federal level. But I I would anticipate that. I think uh, the, the roles of state and local guards are so important and their payrolls are so important. Uh, that I think the federal government will do something. It's just a matter of getting the, the, the parties together uh, to some compromise.
1: Um, North Carolina has always been a growth state, and uh, how is this going to affect our growth rate?
2: Well, I actually think, Don, that um, when we get past the pandemic and we back, get back to some sense of normality, I, I don't think this has damaged North Carolina's brand at all. In fact, I think in some ways it may enhance North Carolina's brand. I think, I think the states and the localities that really need to be worried about this and the long-run impacts would be those those regions that have the big mega cities. Uh, so you go up the East Coast, Northeast Corridor, you go from Washington to, to New York to Boston, et cetera, Philadelphia, maybe look at Detroit and, and the West Coast. Uh, the pandemic, of course, the epicenter of the pandemic has been in New York City. And there's already been a lot of discussion about. Businesses may be potentially leaving New York City, people leaving New York City, because they don't want to be around when the next pandemic hits. And they may be afraid to use the mass transit. So I don't, I, don't like, I don't want people to think that I'm trying to benefit or want our state to benefit from someone else's woes. But I do think if there are businesses, if there are households who want to leave some of those really mega metropolitan areas, they're looking for somewhere else to go. I think North Carolina is a very, very logical place. Yeah. Uh, even our cities, our, our big cities, the Triangle, Charlotte, the Triad—I mean, we're not in that mega level, and and we don't have the density and congestion, etc. So I think I don't th- I don't see North Carolina's brand at all being harmed by this pandemic, and in fact, I think. Um, Uh, the pandemic may actually enhance over. I was talking with a couple weeks ago with our um, business recruiters, the the North Carolina Economic Partnership, Chris Chung runs that. And he told me that there has been no slowdown of inquiries by out-of-state businesses about North Carolina. And I think just last week, if if I remember my numbers right, uh, or last couple weeks, there's been an announce announcements in North Carolina that total a thousand new jobs coming to the state.
1: So I think our state will do quite quite well after this. My guest is Dr. Mike Walden, and we'll be back with one final segment right after these messages. One in
0: three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you. Your football buddy. And your football buddy. Oh. Or you. Your best man. Your worst man. <gasps> you. Your dog walker
2: Brought
0: to you by the Ad Council and its Pre-Diabetes Awareness Partners. Tom has been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. I was really starting to worry. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives,
1: but he was there beside me.
0: When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis.
1: We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with Dr. Mike Walden, uh, who has been with us a number of times. And of course, this week we are (laughs) focusing on the effects to the state of North Carolina as caused by the COVID-19 pandemic and how it's affecting us in our everyday lives. We've talked about interest rates. We've talked about uh, the federal government's role in uh, the economic recovery. And we've talked about the, the job rate uh, reports uh, that will be coming out again soon and so forth. And so, Dr. Walden, uh, again, let me remind the folks, if you're listening to the stations that carry only a half-hour version of this program, you can hear two additional segments by going to carolinanewsmakers.com. And on that, you will hear the two segments that you did not hear or if you want to share the entire broadcast with a friend, you can do that as well. Well, Dr. Mal- Walden, uh, we, uh, of course, have covered an awful lot of ground so far in the program. Uh, what are you looking for in the next week as far, or next couple of weeks, as far as indicators of what might come about that might change things or might uh, change the timing of particular events that we've already talked about?
2: Well, everyone, of course, wants the economy to, to open up more, we want people to get back, all people to get back to work. We want businesses to, to have business, have customers. And we've been moving in that direction. I think the current phase uh, of reopening in North Carolina phase two, I think that expires uh, next week. So the governor's gonna have to make a decision about do we go further, do we stay where we are? And of course, I think one of the key parts there is to watch those numbers, watch the number of new COVID-19 cases, watch the number of hospitalizations uh, Watch the number of deaths, and I think the first two have actually been trending upward, which most people thought would happen once we began to reopen. Uh, but we want to make sure that if they do continue to trend upward, how fast are they trending upward, and do we do we continue to have, which we still do have, the hospitalization capacity to handle the, those cases. So that's going to be a key input, I think, into the governor and governor's decision. Of course, he's being very ably advised by. Uh, Health and Human Service Secretary, uh, Mandy, Mandy Cohen. Uh, this, is a, this is a tough needle to thread, Don, and I think that's the way to look at it, because on the one hand, you've got the health concerns, and if, if, you, if you were only concerned with minimizing cases and minimizing deaths, you would close the economy down totally. You wouldn't allow people to go about anywhere. That's obviously not feasible, and I don't see us even walking back to, to, to go back to where we were. So on the other side, you do have the economy. We have to have an, a functioning economy. So people earn money, businesses earn money, and and the very very tough job, and this is usually the job, well, it is the job of governors in each state, is to thread that needle between the health part and what I call the wealth part. And we want health and wealth to go together. And my my admonition to people, and especially the kind of people I I teach, the 18 to 20, we'll call it say 28 years old, is. Please, please be responsible. Uh, make, behave when you're out in public because uh, uh, the virus is still out there. You can transmit it. Um, so so um, pay, pay attention to the three Ws. what, Wait, which is the social distancing. aware, wear a mask. I think that's going to be required in Raleigh. And then wash, wash your hands thoroughly. Uh, if we do those things, we behave, all of us behave when we're out in public, then we can thread that needle. But if we don't behave, then then I'm 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 concerned.
1: You of course are on the faculty of NC State. Colleges are talking about returning. I think it's August eighth. I believe mm-hmm. that's the date. Public schools are talking about returning. But let's talk about colleges because uh, the question gets to be now: Will all the students want to return? Will mm-hmm. some want to take a gap year? Will some uh, uh, change their their graduation? route uh, and so forth and of course uh, not only the public schools because this is going to affect the economics if uh, if enrollment goes down the funds uh, to operate the colleges are not necessarily going to go down and then of course you've got private schools and if their enrollment goes down most of those are pretty close to break even all, all the time what do you see happening there
2: Well, um, I have said for a number of years that that I think colleges, universities uh, are are looking at some very dynamic changes uh, coming forth, primarily due to technology, the ability to, and it's been around now for years, to educate uh, individuals virtually. We also have an issue with the college age population is expected to go down in the future. So these are challenges I think colleges and universities were ultimately going to face. It's just now they're facing them sooner. So like so many things, the pandemic has brought a lot of things that we knew were coming fast forward. And universities like NC State are going to have to make decisions and are in the process of doing that. Can they educate students safely uh, on campus? And I think we're making plans to do that in terms of spacing, et cetera. Uh, but we're also, I think, making plans to vastly increase our remote learning. And I think the big question there, Don, is gonna be, is remote learning gonna be the wave of the future? Uh, I don't think that that courses on campus will ever totally go away, but I could see a day, I'll I'll be long retired, but I could see a day where uh, most of the learning that takes place, at least for a lot of students on campus, could be done remotely, which would have all kinds of implications. For the infrastructure of universities, we wouldn't need as many buildings, how do you handle research that goes on very importantly in universities, outreach, et cetera? So uh, I think Randy Woodson, uh, for example, at NC State, I mean, there's a lot on his plate now, not just dealing with the, the virus right now, but what this implies for how, what, what is NC State going to look like and what's UNC Chapel Hill going to look like and do, and, and NC Center, What are they going to look like 5, 10, 15 years down the road?
1: Another, of course, big factor that uh, the uh, alumni and uh, the non-alumni are so concerned about now is what's going to happen to college athletics. And they've got several issues going on right now. First of all, the pandemic, and then they've also got this issue of, of, of whether student-athletes should be paid and mm-hmm. how they should uh, earn their scholarships. That's, a, that's probably a whole session for a whole another program because there's all sorts of implications there. But uh, Certainly, uh, that's going to affect the uh, economics of the, uh, the schools as well. And, uh, of course, you know, uh, most people uh, fail to understand that in the case of especially North Carolina, uh, Chapel Hill and NC State, when an athlete gets a scholarship, there is a check written and it comes out of athletic funds,
2: mm-hmm.
1: tuition and scholarship. That's not a free ride. Private colleges, of course, uh, they have a different situation, but nonetheless, they've still got to fund it.
2: Yeah, and I think one of the questions there, so you're absolutely right, Don, all kind of issues there as well as with major league sports. But in terms of college sports, I think one big issue is, is this a short run thing? Are we dealing, are we simply talking about the fall semester and then next spring, if we get a vaccine, we're back to normal? Or is this a long run thing? Now I think your your comment about the payment of athletes, that's an issue that's already been simmering, somewhat independent of the pandemic, but it's probably been heightened in terms of its awareness. Uh, due to the pandemic, so you're absolutely right. College athletics, which is, well, let's face it, it's a it's a part of the college experience, even if you're not an athlete. You you enjoy going to. I enjoyed when I was at Cornell when seeing Ed Marinero set the NCAA rushing record. Um, um, it's a, it's part of going to college, and and yeah, you're right that that's under some stress now, and we don't really know how college athletics will come out of this. Also,
1: well, it's it's a very interesting situation that we have there, and. Uh... Uh, I I guess only time will tell how that's going to come out. Let's talk about globally now, because, of course, we're not the only country that has been affected by the pandemic. And uh, how is this whole thing affecting trade and trade agreements and things of this nature and our import and export balance of payments?
2: Well, this is the big uh, global competition, I think, in terms of the U.S. Clearly, in the last several years, maybe even decades, has been with China. And, of course, even before the pandemic, we had trade issues with China. The president uh, wanted putting tariffs on China. They put tariffs on us uh, because he was upset with some things China did in the trade world, as well as previous presidents were also. This has added another layer because there are a lot of people who think the pandemic, the virus started in in Yuan, China. They think China was not forthcoming with the the, um, concern over this and how it could spread. So I think I, I said earlier I don't think North Carolina's brand as a, as an economy and a state have been hurt. I think China's brand has been very much hurt, and I could see uh, a lot of our companies saying, you know, if we if we deal with China and we especially if we import in uh, things from China, uh, we our supply chain is tied to China. Let's look, for some, let's look for a way to alter that. Let's see if we could reestablish that supply chain here in the U.S. Let's not become so, let's release, uh, reduce our dependence on China. So I think that's probably a big, big takeaway. And whomever is elected president in November, whether it's uh, Donald Trump for another term or whether it's Joe Biden, I think that's going to be one of the big issues we're going to have to deal with in the next four years. And I think it's even bigger now than it was, was four years ago. I think in terms of Europe, uh, Europe has been through the same thing that we've been through Uh, Yes, we've been reevaluating our trade relationship with Europe and with the UK, especially in fact, with the UK, we were expected to develop a new trade relationship. All that sort of been set aside by the pandemic, but I would look for that to be rekindled. So I think the big question mark is with China.
1: Oh, you, you mentioned their their brand has been damaged. Does that uh, include other countries' relationships with China or just the United States as well?
2: Uh, I, I, think, I think a lot of countries are going to look, yes. No, I think that uh, many countries are going to look suspiciously at China. You're probably aware there, there's actually been some fighting between India, uh, Indian soldiers and Chinese soldiers at the border between the two. Uh, India is a growing superpower. India is thought to it's going to replace China. In, in, in not too long as the most populous state in, in the world, it's, it's flexing its muscle uh, muscles, we're trying to cozy up to them. So yeah, I think that whole East Asian area region with China and now India as the center part will, will be a source of, of uh, conflict, hopefully not shooting conflict, but, but certainly trade conflict and diplomatic conflict.
1: Well, it's uh, very interesting, all the things that are going on. So uh, you've got about one minute, uh, well, you actually got about 30 seconds to summarize what we should be watching for next week. Uh, We're watching the news next week. Well, well,
2: by next week, we will have the May job numbers for North Carolina. So very important to look at those, see if they went the same way as the nation. Hopefully we'll have added jobs and lower unemployment rate, which would suggest that maybe the economic recovery is started here in North Carolina. That would be a big plus.
1: And your anticipation is that it might?
2: Yes, uh, my anticipation is that, yes, we will see good numbers uh, when those numbers are released for North Carolina,
1: yes. Dr. Mike Walden has been our guest on Carolina and As always, he brings a a certain uh, degree of uh, simplification to minds like mine that Mm -hmm. allow me to understand exactly what's going on, and we certainly appreciate your taking time to spend with us on this occasion.
2: It's my pleasure,
1: Don. ...produced by Jason Kong, and he'll have another interesting guest for us again next week. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can do so by going to carolinanewsmakers.com. carolinanewsmakers.com. That's the web address for that. So until next week, same time, same station. Have a nice week, everybody.